everybody. My name is Spencer Jenkins. My pronouns are he, him, his. I am the executive director of Queer Kentucky and the co-host to Queer Kentucky's podcast, Beards and Lavender. And hello, everybody. My name is Sarah Gardner, the other co-host. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I am founder and editor-in-chief of Nanny Goat Press, a storytelling startup aimed at giving voices to underrepresented authors. This second episode uh, of our original series was incredibly exciting because we got to sit down with Hannah Drake, a nationally renowned poet, writer, activist, and local queer Kentuckian. This episode was actually recorded only a few days before Brianna Taylor was shot and murdered by police in her home in a West Louisville neighborhood. Hannah became one of the instrumental activists during the protests in downtown Louisville, advocating for justice for Breonna Taylor's death. Clearly, we don't go into much of that be- or any of it because it did not happen yet. Really hope to have Hannah back on our podcast. In addition, uh, this was the first episode I had the privilege of recording uh, with our my wonderful former co-host, Remy. Uh, Remy is still with Queer Kentucky um, in a fabulous new role. Remy has become one of our trans-inclusive workshop facilitators. Um, We do a workshop with businesses and organizations and teach them how to be um, a little bit more inclusive in the workplace. Uh, Remy does that along with our other facilitator, Adrian Silbernagel, and they have been doing that for a little over a year now. So while we, and I especially, will miss having Remy as my co-host, she has moved on to bigger and better things within the organization, and we cannot wait to see all the beautiful things she accomplishes. So just a bit more about this episode. Um, Part of our conversation really focused on the joys, the difficulties, and the experience of being Black, queer, and femme. Um, and how navigating those different identities um, exists within the community. So, we really hope you enjoy the episode To Thine Own Self Be True with Hannah Drake, Sarah Gardner, and Remy Serene Martin. Welcome back to our second Queer Kentucky podcast. Hello, everyone. Just want to do a quick introduction about Queer Kentucky. Queer Kentucky is an LGBTQ plus run nonprofit working to bolster and enhance queer culture and health through education and action. Through our storytelling approach, we give visibility and celebrate the lives of LGBTQ plus folks in the greater Bluegrass state. My name is Sarah Gardner. I'm one of the co-hosts here. I run and own Nanny Goat Books and Nanny Goat Press, a publishing house uh, that gives voices to marginalized writers. We have Remy here, our new co-host. Her, oh, I'm sorry. My pronouns are also she, her, and hers. I keep oh, forgetting that word. <laughs> Remy Dior. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and she, her, hers. I have been with Queer Kentucky for a little bit now, producing several modes of content, uh, 
namely an interview with the wonderful Dominique Jackson, a couple of op-eds that I produced. I am an undergraduate at the University of Louisville studying, you know, critical trans theory and critical race theory. And I'm just so excited to be here and to have the lovely and wonderful Hannah Drake with us. <laughs> Thank it's you. It's amazing. And I'm ready to see what kind of conversation I we know, get me into too. today. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be a fun one. So Hannah, can you tell us a bit about yourself? My name is Hannah Drake. I am a writer and a poet, um, a blogger. I kind of do a, a lot of things, but most of them are centered around writing. That's fantastic. Are you from Kentucky? I am not from Kentucky. I'm from Colorado. And I was born and raised in Colorado, went to college in Colorado, grew up in Colorado. And I moved here, I believe I was 21, 22 years old. Yeah. What brought you here? So a lot of people don't know this, but I was in an abusive relationship and I went to a battered woman's shelter. And my mom still lives in Colorado. But at the time, she had told my dad that I was in the shelter. So one day I was walking by the payphone in the shelter and the phone rang and I pick it up and it was my dad. And I hadn't talked to him since I was like 15 years old. And I just said, hello. And he said, Hannah. And I knew his voice, of course. And I said, dad. And he said, yeah. And I said, how did you know I was here? He said, your mom told me. And he said, come home. So I got on a Greyhound with my daughter and came to Louisville, Kentucky. He's from here. My dad's from, born and raised in Kentucky, in Smoketown. So. Hell yes. <laughs> Pre-gentrified. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Important to know. Yeah. A totally different area now than it was even 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, how long have you been writing? I've been writing probably a little over 20 years, but certainly have loved uh, reading. I tell everybody a good writer is an excellent reader. I learned how to read. My mom taught me to read when I was about three. I read Marvin K. Mooney, Will You Please Go Now by Dr. Seuss. <laughs> I still remember that. So I always loved words. I, it just They just made sense to me. I could see them and still do. I could see them in my head like puzzle pieces. I knew how they were supposed to go together for some reason. So on the topic of reading and words, so in Black History Month, yes. you know, it's the leap year, so we get an extra day. Yes. How exciting. <laughs> <laughs> but so far in your life, what, as a Black woman poet, writer, what was an integral piece of literature for you that was like, I have to do this. Words make sense to me. Would they give me oxygen? What was that piece for you? Certainly, I think, which it wasn't a piece that I read, not until later, but I saw uh, Maya Angelou at Bill Clinton's inauguration, and she was reading on the pulse of the morning. One of my and, Right. And I thought, who, you know, what's funny is I, growing up, I never uh, grew up with Black authors. Right. I didn't know that was a thing. And then I saw her on TV and I knew instantly whatever it is that she's doing. That's what I want to do. I want to do that thing. She was so eloquent and well, just beautiful and the way she dressed and she had on this fur. And I was able to see my Angelou when she came here. She was at Canaan Baptist Church. And just to see her was like I was seeing someone that that changed my life. And if I could have ever told her that, which I'm sure like millions of people wanna, wanted to tell my Angelou that, that her just standing in the truth of who she 
was the person fully, you know, exposing her life, like opened up the door for, for me to do that. That's incredible. Yeah. And it's so important to see ourselves in those, yes. especially in the art. I mean, that's yeah. the thing, you know, art is, we have to see ourselves in art and that's how we tell stories. That's how we relate to people. Right. It's huge and very important. Like when people just put like hashtag representation matters and like, it really does. Like that's not just a hashtag, right? It's important. I know we were talking earlier before we start taping about the celebration of life of Kobe Bryant and I made this uh, post that it was the first time that I saw a Black conductor with locks, right? And I thought, what is that? I've never seen that mm-hmm. before. You know, I've seen very rarely a Black conductor, typically in front of, you know, a gospel choir or choir or something. But to see a Black conductor in front of this mini orchestra and he was standing there proudly with locks. And we know all, the, all this conversation about Black people and their hair, and can you wear the hair that grows out of your head, and and all of this stuff. And in 2020, we have to have laws made so that Black people can actually wear the hair that grows out of their heads. And for him to stand in that space lets me know that other Black kids can stand in that space. And that's why we do the things that we do. Often, at the expense of yourself, are you feeling uncomfortable. It doesn't always feel good to like walk and live in this truth of who you are, but you have to do it for the people coming behind you. At the expense of our safety. Right. Oftentimes. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's why there is for me an allure of Maya Angelou. Because mm-hmm. I too was like had a very foundational moment when yes. I met was introduced to Maya like through, you know, YouTube. That's right, how I right, found her. Right. And I watched on the pulse of this morning, which I mean She's a phenomenal orator. I mean, such a commanding presence. But I think there was a vulnerability that Maya Angelou, as a Black woman writer, brought that we hadn't seen before. Discussing openly sexual abuse, her being a madam, and being, she was like, this is what it is. And then, you know, her just being so vulnerable with her life, which often, you know, Black women, Black femmes aren't granted the position right. in. And that brings me to one of your favorite people, Beyonce. <laughs> what Beyonce. of my favorites. Beyonce. And we were talking yesterday, you know, and it's something that I've been mulling over is that why do people really hate Beyonce? Right. Why? They you know why. And, in this, <laughs> and my friend brought up to me is that we have never seen a Black woman in with so much control over her over her image. Yeah, yeah over and her this, own image. Yeah. yeah. Like, and like you know, usually you know white supremacy does what it right. does. It distorts actively the black image. Yes. Captures us in modes of savagery yep. and disgust, but not Beyonce. Yeah. Beyonce has total control over her image and it's shaking the world. What do you think about that? Totally agree. A, a friend sent me a, a little plaque that says, what would Beyonce do? Which I have <laughs> hanging <laughs> on my wall. But I, I completely agree. And I think when Beyonce came out with her song, Formation, and people saw the video, which had a lot of imagery of a New Orleans and Hands Up, Don't Shoot, and the little black boy with the hoodie and the police, people were stunned. But I think Beyonce, at the, and we right, we have this curated Beyonce, mm-hmm. right? Just the gowns and the this and no hairs out of place. And that's Beyonce. What she and, allows you to see. Right. Mm-hmm. And then she comes out with Formation. 
And then she goes to the Super Bowl and, you know, they're dressed like the Black Panthers. And I think it was the 50th year of the Black Panther Party. You know, nothing is lost on Beyonce. You know, she knows this while she's planning the whole thing. Right. And so people were shocked and stunned. And so that's when Saturday Night Live came out and did that skit. Like, like people woke up and they're like, oh, my God, like Beyonce's black. You know, (laughs) but she is black and she has a black husband and she has black children. And and Beyonce, it's not lost on her with her privilege because Beyonce has privilege. She's very wealthy. Mm-hmm. She looks a certain way that resonates with America. This is just the reality of the situation. She's a beautiful woman. She is has this gorgeous body. So she has this level of, of privilege and access and she knows this is how I need to use it. And there comes a point that you, when you have such a platform and she has a global platform, you can no longer remain silent. You don't have that option. And even though Beyonce and I'm sure and her husband did a lot of things in the background that we'll never be aware of because they're not ones to flaunt what they've done. I think she knew now it's the time for me to come out and speak the truth. And at that point, she had nothing to lose. She controls her image. She controls her money. She controls her. So what did she have to lose at that point? And then you get to a point in life what do I care if I do lose something at this point? Do I care about that or do I care about the truth? Do I care about that or do I realize I'm raising three black kids in America that could walk down the street and nobody knows you're Beyonce's whatever, you know, your son, daughter, and get your head blown off. You know, the same thing happened with LeBron, I believe. Someone spray painted the N-word on LeBron's mansion. LeBron's one of the richest men in the world. Still, there is no shield yeah. When it comes to white supremacy and there is no shield of of power and privilege. We had one of the most powerful black men in the world, Barack Obama, you know, one of the most powerful men in the world. And he was still called the N-word and still had to face white supremacy. And he rose to be the president of the United States, not once, but twice. And that still didn't protect him. There is no protection from white supremacy. So at some point you make a decision, you draw a line in the sand I'm going to stand up for what's right, period. Well, and to take, I mean, to, to use your platform and your voice, because I mean, I loved your Con Kaepernick piece. Thank it you. Was, it was incredible. As I was reading, I was thinking, you know, all the all the people who say, you know, sit down, shut up, yeah. you're a sports player, you don't have a say. No one, I mean, the white supremacists on Facebook, why do they get to have a say? And, and, you, know, <laughs> right. some, you know, I mean, right. it, it's, it's like they're not shutting up, right. they're not sitting down. You know, why yeah. is it suddenly when you're, you know— when you're an athlete or when you're, you know, th- right. that you lose you're not your supposed voice. to care about not these things. To, yeah. You know, that's the, the perfect time to mention these things. Colin Kaepernick is not lost on him. If he walks down the street and of course now, you know, he's famous. Everyone knows his face. But I'm just saying if he walked down the street, he's subject to be treated like Trayvon Martin or Mike Brown or anybody else. You know, your celebrity does not protect you. You know, it's not going to protect you from that. And he understands that. And why not? Use your platform for other people who just don't have access. To me, sometimes I believe that's why it's given to you. It's not given to you to hoard it. Mm-hmm. It's given to you to open up the door for somebody else. I love that. What else can you say to, to a comment? So that's <laughs> incredible. Like, yeah. oh, I love that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. We know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, and, and speaking sort of kind of going off of the Beyonce being in control of her own image, I loved your piece. Uh, I was reading your piece 
last night, um, Black Women Do Not Exist to Serve You yeah. from 2017. And I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it was, again, just beautifully written. Thank you. But you said, Black women are tired. Black women will no longer play wet nurse to white America. At some point, you have to get off the breast and grow up. And that just was... I wanted to say tit, but I didn't. Yeah. Should have. Sorry, can I say that on this podcast? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I guess now. <laughs> yeah. We are totally censorless here. Yeah, <laughs> I should have said that. Yeah. But no, I mean, it, yeah. Just, it was so beautiful. And I think, you know, again, like that issue of, of not being in control of your own image, like with Gabrielle Union, that whole issue that just came up, it was, yeah. I mean, it's not even being able to wear your hair. Right. You know, I mean, and it's just, it's been, that was a beautiful way of, of saying that. I, I really appreciate Thank that. You. Yeah. And you think about women like Gabrielle Union, Beyonce, and other black uh, women, uh, Serena Williams, I'm sure you all heard like when Serena was having her baby, she had medical issues and the doctor didn't really believe what she was like. These women are some of the most powerful, richest women in the world. Yep. And if they can't get help and if they can't wear their head, what does that say for me? What does that say for Remy? What does that say for other black women who, you know, maybe one day, you know, probably not likely will be as rich as Beyonce, I wish. Yeah, fingers but crossed. But let's just be real. You know, it's probably not going to, I'm probably not going to have billions of dollars. You know, I'm happy if I get a couple million, you know, but I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's just real, not realistic. I don't think I wish. But if they have to struggle with that, then what about the other little black girls and little black boys, you know, because, and, and so that's why they must, it's a requirement for them to come out and speak the truth. Because if they don't, then who's going to stand for us? And everybody, okay, so you may not be Beyonce, you're not Gabrielle Union, you're not Serena Williams, and you don't have that level of wealth and blah, blah, blah. But you have a platform of some kind. And you can, I tell people all the time, impact your corner of the world. Everybody doesn't have to be Martin Luther King. You know, everybody doesn't have to be a Malcolm X. But everybody can do something. The problem is when people say, well, I'm just not going to do anything. That's not an option anymore. People are literally out here dying. Like people, kids are dying in cages. This is who we've become. Mm -hmm. This is who we've always been. And it's time out for that. Either you're satisfied with that or you're not. Like there is no lukewarm, hot and cold. You pick one. There's no safe place. There's no safe place. So either you're okay with kids dying in cages or you're not. Like tell me which one it is. Like, there is no racist light. It's like kind of being, like, I tell people, it's like being kind of pregnant. You either are pregnant or you're not pregnant. You know? (laughs) (laughs) There is no racist light, you know, trying to determine when we think about the election and voting. And I know people are going to vote all they want. Like, what level of racism am I going to vote? Like, there is no right level of racism. There is none. So you're trying to tell me I can deal with this level of racism but not like the uh, tiki torch racism. It's all the same. Yeah. So you said about, you know, we all may not be Beyonce's or Martin Luther King's, right. Malcolm X's, Maya Angelou's, but we do have power yep. to affect our communities and our localities, you know, individually. How do you see uh, writing as your praxis for liberation? How does that perform for you? Certainly, you know, I, I try to write about many issues that I that I see online that are impacting not just this nation, certainly in our community. I've uh, written about Kentucky numerous times. 
because Kentucky is a very segregated state. It simply is. This was maybe 2014. I'm sure not much has changed. That it was the fourth, Louisville was the fourth most segregated city in the nation, right? And you can just look at it and see you have quarantined Black people to a certain area in the city. So, I mean, we don't have to pretend. People know that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And so my thing is to how can I use my words to kind of infiltrate this system? And I knew when I started my blog, I had, I wanted to say more than just what I could say in poetry, because poetry can only be so long before people are like, okay, yeah, I'm done with it. (laughs) You know, and so I started this blog and the first, ironically, it lined up perfectly with the Women's March. And I remember uh, people were sending me Ashley Judd's poem she was reciting about being a nasty woman or something like that. And and I thought, the poem is good, sounds good, but something's not clicking as I'm watching. Some off. <laughs> Some off. Some off. And you know, you know, I tell people all the time, examine yourself. So I'm like going inwardly. Like, Hannah, are you jealous that you ain't reciting the poem? You know, like, let's. You know, and I thought, no, you was that's doing the not work. it. You was doing the work. You know, and so I thought, okay, what is it? And then this picture, so, and every, you know, when you're a poet, everybody sends you the poem like you ain't seen it. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> but so everybody was sending this to me, and I'm thinking, mm, nah. So I, tur- I turned on the show, I mean, the show, that's basically what it was. Yeah. The, <laughs> the reality TV the, show. The reality TV show. And, and the hats and things. And I turn it on and I'm like, mm. and then this picture comes across my feed of the black woman, Angela Peoples with the lollipop and the three white women standing behind her and they're on their phones, right? Because so much is going on because it's resisting and they're on their phones and she has this sign that says, don't forget white women voted for Donald Trump. And I thought, that's it. Yeah. That's the problem I have. And where were you sooner than this? Because these issues affected my life before this election, and we've been out here screaming and yelling, and you ignored us. So I wrote that, and I got a lot of pushback, but a lot of good feedback that people understood. That's the reality. And people now, I tell them, you want to resist your way back to your comfort and your brunch and your avocado toast and your kombucha. Like, you want to get back to that. And I want to resist my way to change and justice. And there's a difference. Mm-hmm. So we're still divided on that because this issue, Trump has come and disrupted like your hot yoga. Like, when can I get back to the hot yoga? And yeah. like, everybody's not talking about race. And, you know, no, like, this is it. This doesn't, if Trump's out of office or what, it doesn't change for me. Trump can be out of office tomorrow and I can get shot in the head in less than 24 hours. Like, this does not change for me. So either you want to fight all the way through or you don't. And I had to write about that repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. It's like, I felt like the the Sisyphus, the Greek person, rolling the rock. And then it fall back down and I'm rolling it again. And my issue, particularly me, you know, being a woman, was white women. Like, I needed to say something to them. And it was going to hurt their feelings. And I didn't care. You know, and boy, they gave it to me. And I'm going to give it right back to you. Because the re- numbers are the numbers. We saw what you did. Oh, you yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, the receipts you, are there. I mean, you know, the yeah. receipts. Yeah. This is just out. one of many receipts. One of, yeah. one of many receipts. You know? And so I was so uh, tired of this. And here we are going, this is the hundredth year, right, of women's suffrage, right? And so people love to say this. And, and women got the right to vote pause. Which women? 
Because I know black women just didn't skip to the polls. So let's pause. If we're going to talk, <laughs> if we're going to talk about women's suffrage, let's really talk about it. And let's really talk about the white women that blocked black women from voting. So if we're going to have a real conversation, let's do it and see how that's still taking place here in 2020. You know, so people are inviting me to speak about women's suffrage. Great. But don't invite me if you don't want me to tell you the reality of it, what really happened. Those are the things that we need to talk about. That's how you change things. And I had to do that uh, with my writing. And if if people liked it, great. And if they didn't like it, even better. Because my... Because I wasn't writing to make anyone comfortable. I was writing to make people uncomfortable. I was writing to prick you. I was writing to make you think. I was writing to make you angry. I to wanted shake a nation. I, to shake a nation. I needed to shake you. And a lot of white people got shook. And I needed that. That's the way you change things. You're not going to change things. I showed up uh, with change and here's some warm cookies and milk and let's change things. No, I'm probably going to break you before I heal you. There has to be a disruption. There has to be. Because these things are so foundational, so intrinsic to, like, American personhood, especially to white people. You know, the world they live in is often delusional. It is not not a reality. Like, the rest of us is having to deal with all this shit. Y'all the only ones that are not seeing it. So it's like, you have to to break people to to their core because, I mean, even as a Black person who, who had to relearn... And understand concepts outside of race and right, sexuality right, right. and gender. I just sat down and was like, ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> 18 years. This yeah. is a long time to get rid of all the, you know, these unconscious biases. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we to, all have them. And to think, and somehow, you know, in the white supremacist imagination, to think that, you know, that black people have to unlearn racism. Yeah. But they don't. Yeah. It's just insane. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. I saw someone put on Twitter, I thought this was so funny, like, white people can always point out what is racist, except for when they're being racist. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was so funny. I thought that is so, so, so true. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, white women have, I mean, the 2016 brought off that whole conversation. But I mean, in that same, I mean, because it was 2015 when marriage equality passed, and mm. white queerness is also a huge issue within yeah. the community. I mean, when we think about, I mean, we were talking yesterday about, you know, a lot of queer people seem to think that because a bunch of white people went to the Supreme Court and got us the right to get married, the queer rights movement is just done. Like, we're, we're finished. We're good. We're all good. <laughs> we're all safe. We're all, safe. You know, we're all being we're all fed. Fun. We're all, yeah. hang, you know. Yeah, there are no more <laughs> issues. It's just rainbows and, and glitter, you know. <laughs> But I mean, you know, looking at even the queer community, I mean, and especially, I think, especially in Kentucky, yeah, you know, I mean, there are, it is a bit better, you know, I lived in DC for a while, and it's a bit better, not good, mm-hmm. but especially in Kentucky, I mean, we think of queer people as white gay men, especially white cis gay men. And like, that's just a whole other, you know, bag of what are you all doing too to help yeah. anybody besides yourself? Yeah, completely agree. And let me just be transparent. And I wrote my blog to thine own self be true. And then I just did the article for Queer Kentucky. And it was, you know, I told my friend I need to write this. This is just, it was just on my mind Mm -hmm. constantly. And when something is on your mind constantly like that for me, then I know it's something I have to deal with, this thing, right? And I felt like, and I'm just naturally a really private person. And I feel like I give a lot of myself to the public and there's some things I would keep to myself. And I thought this is not one of them. That's a lie. 
Yeah. Like you check yourself, Hannah, you're lying to yourself. Right. This is not an issue of privacy. This is an issue you don't want to talk about because of fear. Mm-hmm. It's not an issue of being private. So I called years ago, I called my mom and my mom knew. You know, yeah. <laughs> moms tend to know pretty pretty early on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and my mom just said, Hannah, to thine own self be true. Be true to who you are. And that was years ago. And so I remembered that, but didn't take that advice. And then I called my sister and I told her, I'm just going to tell you this straight. You know me. I'm going to tell you this straight up. This is what it is. I have a whole girlfriend. And (laughs) (laughs) if you see us together, this isn't my friend. No next surprise. This is my girlfriend. Yeah. Right. And she was like, okay, cool. You know, and, then, and my <laughs> daughter was like, uh, do whatever you want to do to make yourself happy, mom. Like, I don't care. And and then she was like, <laughs> my daughter was like, what about this person? Was that your girlfriend? And I said, yeah, it was. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and she's running back to her. Yeah, she's checking the list of, yeah. Trying to check on all the roommates. Right, <laughs> right. It's all your friends. Like, who is really your friend? But I just felt like Hannah, same thing with Beyonce or everything I've said. You have this platform, and I have been fortunate to have millions of people now read my blog. And if you aren't using that to speak to issues that impact LGBTQ people, then what are you doing? Like, you're demanding of other people to step into their truth and speak boldly. And I would see things online and think, I really should amplify that. Like, I really need to say something about that. And just never did, right? Like, out of this fear of it. And I was, I was like, tired of that. And then I thought, okay, you're in your 40s now. Like, what? Fuck it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, like, whoever doesn't like it is going to like it. And whoever loves it is going to love it. And that's great. I just didn't care anymore. What I cared about was being free. And I cared about seeing things and adding my name to it that I knew I needed to say something about. And I had this huge discussion going back to what you said, Sarah, about on Twitter about, and this is before I even came out. And I had this huge discussion about gay white men. And I said, you can be gay and racist. Like, that's possible. Oh, like, yeah. these two things <laughs> aren't... Racist. Right. (laughs) These things aren't separate. Like that doesn't like you're not gay and then it wipes out the racism like that doesn't happen. And this guy like lit into me like, oh, you're homophobic. And all the time in my mind, I'm thinking like I'm banging a girl. Yeah. yeah. But he didn't know that. But I'm homophobic. I hate gay because that's the truth. You can be gay and you can be racist. Like these two things aren't separate. You know, that's just and he was livid at me. And I thought. And at the time, like, I didn't say, and I wasn't saying it like, you know, like, I have a black friend. Like, I'm thinking, like, I, no one would call me homophobic if you knew me. Like, nobody. (laughs) Nobody would. And even if I didn't, didn't come out, I just wouldn't dislike gay people. I just, that's just not who I am. You know, I'm for everybody, you know, so that's just not my personality. And then later he came back. It was like months later. He came back and apologized. He said, you were right. And so sometimes it is going to hurt. And it's not going to feel good to hear the truth. And he had to sit with that. Mm -hmm. And I knew what I was saying wasn't homophobic. And I'm thinking, I've never posted anything homophobic ever. And I knew I was right. That this is possible. And I know people, you know, if I can just say it, I'm just going to say it. But... (laughs) With the presidential candidate, Pete, 
Like yeah. people are very excited, right, about him being the first openly, I guess. And I always say openly because we don't know because like I was living openly gay candidate, right? So this guy posts on Twitter, he says, uh, well, this is good for LGBTQ kids to see yeah, I was gonna that pull he's, up, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to pull up your quote. Yeah. yeah. I, I pulled it, uh, the whitest uh, of white women's statements that ever white is, <laughs> which is just an amazing, like, you're going to have to teach me at some point how to do titles because, like, I am horrible at them. Like, that's just amazing. But you said, uh, what this show is black LGBTQ kids is that you can be white and gay and do wrong by black people and still rise. Right. And that's just, you know. And he says, I never thought about that. And I said, that's the problem. Because like you said, when you hear gay, LGBTQ, you immediately think white and male and cisgender. Mm-hmm. You immediately think that. And you don't. There are black gay kids. And what Shocking. they do. That's true. That's amazing. Right? Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? One of the- <laughs> and what they see is not a presidential candidate's gayness. They see someone that has harmed black people that look just like them. That could be their moms or their aunts or their dads or their sisters. Or the and so you want me to pretend that that didn't happen because he's gay. I can't do that mm-hmm. as a black. And what bothers me so much is for my friends that are gay to support him. Mm-hmm. What does that say to me? But you share my blog. But you read my work, but you know who I am and how much I care about black people and justice. And you want me to be okay with this because somehow for you, that level of racism or harming black people, it's okay. But I'm supposed to be okay with that because he's gay. No. It's digestible. I don't get down like that. I don't care if it it was a woman. Yeah. Same thing. I'm not going to get down with that just because it's a woman. People did. Yeah. Come on. And so... People need to, when people always want to, oh, I'm intersectional, and, and they want to throw that word around. And they need to look at the intersections of Black people and all the different intersections. And in the article for Queer in Kentucky, I said, I have lived my life where most people think I was just straight. I can walk in a room and nobody knows that. Yeah, you pass. And the, yeah. Easy. Yeah. But one thing you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, is that I'm Black. Yeah. That is always going to step into a room before anything, before a word comes out of my mouth, period. And so I can't put that on the back burner to pretend like me being gay steps in there first. It doesn't. Me being black steps in and then people assume, okay, she's black, she's a woman. And then everything comes after that. Anything else I want to add. But black is always first. I'm not a woman black. I'm a black woman. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I mean, you brought the word intersectionality. I think that's just been, it's been such a buzzword the last couple of right. years. And it just feels like it's basically like a get out of free pass or, <laughs> right. you know, it's like get out of jail free for white yeah. people, you yes. know, to, to, to hollow. Right. Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, what do you even, there's so many, it's such a token word yeah. for I am a safe person, even though my views aren't 100%, you know, right. Right. what. But yeah, I mean, I, I love your writing on, on that word in particular because it is just, I mean, it's just, especially on Twitter, right. such a buzzword. Yeah, that and inclusive and diversity yeah. and equity and all, and it sounds good. And it's the same thing. I just did a workshop and I had them do a 
a privilege thing where they threw the balls in and they had to step back for several different reasons. And so I took out, I had printed the LGBTQ flag and taped it on the basket. And I said, now, did that change anything in your life? No. Did it help you make the basket? No. And a lot of companies and organizations want to slap on a flag or we're down for black people or look, we have the transgender flag in the bathroom and nothing has changed. No policies, the the atmosphere and the culture and climate of the organization hasn't changed, but you have the flag yeah. and you have the black lives and you have the stuff. Do you have the performance of it and and nothing has changed at all? Yeah. Or like they send their employees to go walk in pride, right. you know, yeah. with like Tito's vodka as their sponsor. Right. And just like, you know, like. Busts of chicken from KFC. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I didn't mind that part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be completely yeah. honest. The free food, you can keep that. I'm okay with that. And I didn't cool. mind the alcohol. Yeah. Yeah, that was also free. <laughs> But talking about, you know, when I was hearing you talking, it just reminded me about how white people and more specifically white gay people can separate themselves. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm white and then I'm gay and then I'm a mom and I'm a sister. And I feel like, you know, for me as a black person, a black femme, it's like I can't, you know, all of these things. I mean, the practice of in- intersectionality is right. the acknowledgement that all of these things are tied together right. inextricably so. Yes. Right? There's yes. no moving yeah. without them or yeah. against them. So it's like, I want to know how, how did your blackness, you know, form like this, your queer identity? And did you find solace in your blackness? I think. For me, being Black is everything. Mm -hmm. It controls every aspect of my life. Mm -hmm. There's not a moment that I wake up and think, I'm not Black, right? It's there all the time. I'm constantly aware of it. The greatness of it Mm -hmm. and the Black excellence and all that and what America deems the negative of it. So being racially profiled in a store, being followed by the police. You know, these things, it, it's all, I'm always aware of that. It's like a tape on my head on a loop that goes over and over and over again. But I'm very just in tune with being Black and love everything about being Black. And I thought it was important. And I certainly don't want to come off like I'm, you know, came out and now I'm some knowledgeable, know-everything type person, because I don't. Yeah. Like, I would just watch things on the periphery, right? I'm, And here's, let me say this, I would watch things on the periphery, but I'm always concerned because injustice bothers me. Yeah. Like, the whole issue, like, I'm not going to sell gay people cake. What the hell you mean you're not going to sell gay people yeah. cake? You know, I'm talking <laughs> You know, like Give all people these the cake. issues, right? Or marriage equality, like all of these things, I'm always aware of, always watching, always trying to say something because it's wrong. Yeah. Like you've got to say something because it's wrong. And I remember when the ballet had their um, issue, the whole thing with the, and they asked me, Hannah, will you make a statement about this? And I thought, oh shit, like is this the time? <laughs> but I knew I had to say something because this is wrong, right? And I wanted to be sure that I said I stand with them. I'm not, and I couldn't when I wrote this. I thought, Hannah, you were lying to yourself if you write this like you're separate from them because you're not. And so I wrote it in such a way that I stand with them because I'm part of them. And 
I didn't know, especially being black, and we already know how black cultures at times, you know, mm-hmm. how this would be received. Even Spencer's, oh, we posted your thing. And I thought, oh, shit, here we go. Like, again, like how many, like, even to post that, my blog was like, to hit publish, like, and I was like, oh, I'm staying off social media all weekend. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but everybody, I, I didn't hear anything negative at all, you know. Um, and then now this article, and I, and I saw it, and I thought, damn, like, I'm going to have to do this again, you know, <laughs> because it's always how you're going to be perceived. And you see people online that are your friends and watch the things that they say, not necessarily about that article, but about things in general. You think, well, that's me. Yeah. And you're cool with me because you don't know this about me. And it's important for me to not only use my blackness, but to use me being gay to show people what you're feeling is wrong. Mm. How can you stand with me? And these are the things that you're saying. It's been eye-opening to watch people's responses, even people's responses about transgender people and sports. And I'm like, or the whole thing with, uh, what was it, Dwayne Wade? Oh, and their daughter. Their daughter. And I'm like, like, what do you want Dwayne Wade to do? His daughter is like, what, 12? Yeah, young. young. Put the daughter out? Yeah. Like, will that satisfy you? So here's what I don't get sometimes about our culture and people in general so you have Kobe Bryant. So he's two athletes, right? Mm-hmm. And Kobe loses his daughter and his, his life in this tragic accident. And then people are thinking we have to love on our kids and be there for our children. Life is short. What are we going to do? And like two weeks later, it's like all hell breaks loose. Like the way, way need to put the child out. You, know? like, you can't have it both ways. And when you think about like my job as a parent is to love my child, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. period. Like, I was thinking, okay, what could my daughter do to make me? I think, okay, maybe she was a mass murderer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. like, I kept thinking, well, and I was thinking, nah, you know, I probably would still try to stick it out with her even while she's in prison. You know? <laughs> but I kept, there's nothing that she could do that I would put her out or disown her or and this is why kids end up committing suicide like what do you want Dwayne Wade to do Mm -hmm. and as parents we must do better look Dwayne Wade's child is who the child is nothing Dwayne Wade is gonna change it Zaya's about to do what Zaya's about to do come on whether she waits till she's 18 whether she does it at 12 you're not gonna change it but I've noticed that the focus really isn't on her transitioning. It's more, especially, have you seen Little Boosie's comment? Yes. First of all, that is the funniest shit I've ever (laughs) seen in my life. If you haven't watched it, please go watch it. Yes, Lord. But it's this fixation on losing the penis. Yeah. That, like, that I've seen people get caught up on. It's like, how dare you? Well, like, for my, you know, personal experience of being an assigned male at birth, it's like, why, how dare you? Right. You don't want your you don't want your dick no more. <laughs> and I'm like, I never said that. Right. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> all trans women, you know, all trans women, trans friends don't, you know, prescribe to, you know, to right. surgeries. That's not how we understand our experience. But like this 
this kind of uh, we were talking about it yesterday. It's like transphobia is sexism. Yeah. This fear of the feminine, this fear of the femme. And why would a man, yeah, a masculine presenting person want to lose that? Right, right, right. Because on some level, men understand the power that they have. Yeah. And it's like you're gonna give that up yeah. to become a woman. Right, right, right. All of that is all intertwined. Yes. And That's so many good. points of origin. Yeah. So many points mm-hmm. of origin. Yes. I ju- when I heard Labusa, I thought. Did you just say what I think you I said? I love his music. <laughs> and I, me and my mom used to get down because, like, it's, you know, it's like, you know, our our version of, like, hardcore metal. Yeah. It's like that aggressive shit. You can just get down to, you're rolling in your car, you're mad at work, and it's like, set it off. And this, you, know what I mean? you know what I'm talking about? And it just, and, like, his music had a very, and still does, has a very valuable place in my life. And I'm yeah. like, you don't even know who you're speaking against. Right. You it's, know, your fans. Right. Like, it, right, your fans. Same thing, of course, my platform, much smaller. But I would, like I said, see these comments on Facebook, and I think that's how you must feel about me. Yeah. You just and don't know it. Yeah. I, you just don't know it. Yeah. And I'm the type of person, when it comes to that or when it comes to racism, like people are like, like I appreciate the KKK racist. Love it. You got your cl- your costume, put it on. Let people me see. People don't understand that. That's like growing up in a rural place. Like, that's like, come out and tell me come what's going on. Come out and tell me. Yeah. Come out and tell me what what's going on. What I can't take is the hidden and the concealed and the I don't know and you think we're cool. And the and micro. Then you go, and the, I can't take that. If you're a race, like, come out and tell me. Just like, I, like you know, show me. And then I know I'm clear yeah. on what your, it is. Your hood is all you need to say yeah. when you walk into the room. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And I'm clear. And that's fine. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I've, you know, on this anti-racist journey, you know, relearning and learning and liberation forefront, you know, all that shit that I'm trying to do. But it's like, I wonder if white people actually think that we have a problem with them. <laughs> because it's, I don't really care that you don't like Yeah. Them. It's the fact that your positions of power, power have created these institutional structures yes. that are preventing people like me right. from advancing. Exactly. Don't get it twisted. I don't give a fuck. Right. Don't right? get it. And, the, and that's <laughs> what we're trying to tear down. Like you not wanting to have coffee with me, I don't, that's I don't okay. want to have coffee with you. You know, but I'm trying to tear down the system that you're benefiting yeah. from. You know, that I want you to see. Today I did a workshop in a game with a group of people called Privilege for Sale. So I have all these lists of privileges and this $100 for a privilege. And each group, the very first thing they bought was being a straight white male. And I said, so that shows me, you know, that's a benefit. Yeah. You know, that's a privilege. So when people tell me privilege doesn't exist, I don't buy that. You know that that's a benefit in in America. And the next one, most of them pick was to be an American citizen. And then the rest of the things on the list, what's so funny is most of them said just being a straight white male, I can already have everything that's already on this list, period. And I was like, The rest of it comes free. Yeah. You don't even need to buy it. You don't even need to buy it. I can pretty much have, uh, like one of them was like um, not being afraid when the police are behind you. And they're like, why white male? I don't worry about it. Like I don't need to worry about half these things on this list. So it's like, Sad, but that's reality. Oh, yeah. Well, sort of jumping into a bit more culture writing questions. <laughs> are there any uh, any good read recently? Anything you'd recommend? Any good? Any good books? Any any poetry that... Well, right now, I I know here I go again with my, my books, but I'm reading White Fragility. So I'm reading that. I can't remember the author of this 
Robin something maybe or other. Yeah. But um, I'm reading that uh, right now. And I'm also reading a collection of um, like hidden unknown essays uh, by black women from years, years, years ago. So I was reading the first one in this book. Gosh, I wish I could remember the name of this book and I could see it in my head. But there's all these collections of black women, some of them I've never even heard of. They've discovered these writings, put them in this book. But it's from uh, Phyllis Wheatley. And I was about to say her name. Right. And so you, and I knew this story, but when I read it in this book, I thought, wow. And so, you know, she has this collection of poetry and then the white men all get together to validate that she's actually written this collection of poetry and sign off on it. And I thought as a writer, how would that feel to have to have my work validated by white people to say, we believe that she really wrote this? Like, how does that feel And even in 2020, I think, and I hate this, it's like a double-edged sword. I hate it. That Black truth always needs to be filtered through whiteness Mm -hmm. to be heard. And it's like, I can say it, and then Sarah, you might say, and people will hear you. Yeah. And we done said the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I hate it, but I also need Sarah to take what I'm saying back Mm -hmm. to people that look like Sarah. You know, so it, it upsets me. But I need you to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So certainly, any, you know, and some a lot of times when I write, this may sound horrible, when I'm writing something new, I try not to read something. So I don't want to take subconsciously something I've read. And then I, you know, so I try not to, to do that. Uh, very uh, if I'm trying to write a book at the same time but I've been speaking a lot um you know I just came out with my book Dear White Women it's not you it's me I'm yeah. breaking up with you mm-hmm. and so I've been speaking a lot about that book and really wanted to understand white people issues <laughs> that's so amazing <laughs> yeah it's so amazing you just said that I mean working with a lot of writers I've never heard a white writer say I don't want to accidentally plagiarize basically oh. like because white white writers are always like their favorite their favorite phrase is all artist theft yeah and i'm like of course you know that is just like of yeah. course yeah you know? I, they yeah. are down to steal those ideas and they are you yeah. know yeah i just uh like that, yeah i've heard I'm that so, phrase so, 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 so many all artist theft i've heard yeah. that phrase so many times yeah but. i yeah i try to anything i write i really just want it to be uh my work And I've had people steal my work before, and I'm huge on uh, Black people getting credit for their work. It's not, right, it's not co-opted, it's not, but you know, I just, and people got real pissed off at me about this, but the little Black girl that came out with the dance, and then it was on TikTok, and the the white girls did it and Mm -hmm. blew up, and blah, blah, blah. And so, and they invite, so now it's discovered, so you can't, it's not a secret anymore, so they invite her to come dance with them, right? So I made this tweet, which went viral and said, white people are the only people that are still from you, profit mm-hmm. from you, then invite you back to take part in what they stole. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, so, and someone said it's like a 23 and me. It's right? yes. Like, yeah. it's a right. And so, right. So let me get this straight. You're going to steal me from my shit. Right. And now I got to pay you. Yeah. To, to see find out. Make this make sense to me. To find out in a general area where I may be from. Make it make sense. A white supremacist. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that's huge. You know, black people, certainly uh, women, women, especially black women and women of color, get credit for your work, you know, get credit and get paid 
for the work that you do. Because everyone else is getting paid everyone, for it. Girl, you better say it. Oh, everybody, everybody else, else is getting, getting a check. For it. Yep. Everybody's getting a check. Dem- demand that money. And also yeah. demand, I mean, and credit people. Thank you. Just and it takes please nothing. credit people. Yeah. Just cite your nothing. sources. Right. Yeah, cite your sources. Go right. back to college. Learn how to, right. you know. There's a cite machine, right? Yeah. There's and a citation yeah. machine. <laughs> and I always say the thing is about it, there's two things. One, I think a lot of Black people sometimes don't understand their brilliance and their mm. genius. And we call things ghetto. And then the next thing you know, child, I saw making a fried bologna sandwich on a Food Network, making it uh, fancy. Girl, now come on. You know, barefoot contestants up there. Girl, now come on. You know, and so I want black people to understand their brilliance and what we call ghetto and stuff like when people, like somebody put, uh, you know, the uh, country crock things and said, you know, black people have all these in the refrigerator. And I said, white people call that recycling. You know, they've just have switched it. So recognize what it is that you do. It's brilliant, right? And then demand that you get paid for it. You know, because white people, I said black is easy to sell as long as white people sell it. Mm-hmm. They'll sell it right back to you. You got your head wrap on? Look, I'll sell it right back to you. Say, I made it. You know what <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh, my God. It just makes me think that, you know, black people have been our mavericks for pop culture. Yeah. And have been so since pop culture was pop culture, you know, since we've had this origin of pop culture. And it's like, you know, with the renegade dance. Yeah. And, you know, Billie Eilish and her attire, you know, everyone is like so enthralled by her aesthetic. And I'm like, um... All my uncles used to dress like <laughs> right. that in 05, right. right? You know, the screen-printed Come T-shirts on, that yes. are becoming yes. high art. I mean, yeah. after every funeral, Come on. someone Come had on. a T-shirt Come with on. their face and some clouds and doves. And that is things that we have been doing yeah. for years. Yep. But I think it's like this imposter syndrome. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, at least for me, it's like every day walking on campus, I'm from a small town. Yeah. Never thought I was going to get out, working at the speed, talking to you, doing this. Right. right. I have to think, I'm like, wow. You belong. My country ass. Yeah. Yeah. My, yes, my country ass. My green ass yep. is up here talking like I'm talking yep. about these issues, having a competency that is so yep. complex. And it's like a lot of people, a lot of black people don't get to where I am. Yeah. They don't get to acknowledge that this is an imposter syndrome. Right. All there is like, oh, I'm not good enough. Yep. That's fucked up. And you need to, you rhetorical, you need to understand that you belong here. Mm-hmm. Like who said you didn't? And the system has been created and designed where you feel like you don't fit in that space, right? But you do belong in that space. Black people are brilliant. Black people shift culture. Black people are going to tell you what's cool. They shift the entire culture. They're going to tell you what music to listen to and what dance to what's do. About? What, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so black people need to realize they're excellent. If I can just get black people to see themselves, like Thomas, Thomas Merton was a philosopher and a poet here, said, how do I get people to see that they're all walking around shining like the sun? Like, Black people are just so brilliant, and how do I get you to see that? But you do that through your poetry. Thank you. I remember you recited for the speech opening of Ebony G. Patterson. Yep. <laughs> we, you know, we be royalty. We be royalty. We be royalty. And just like what Ebony does, you know, she elevates yeah. Blackness 
to a standard of which it always should be. Yeah. And always has been inherently, mm-hmm. but shows it to, you know, the white supremacist world. Yeah. You know? She has these black men in this, you know, re- you know, very fine regalia, yeah. jeweled up. And then your poem, it's like, we've been royalty. Yeah, yeah. You know? And these are the ways that we crown ourselves, yeah. right? It's in yeah. Coogee. Yes, baby yes. These, you know, <laughs> these are our crowns. These jewels. are our crowns. You stole our crowns, so we had to make some. Yes. <laughs> Gold was originally ours, too. Right. But, you know, since we don't have that, we'll, you know, we'll take Coogee and baby fat. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, um, speaking about getting paid for your art, yes. plug yourself. How do how do people woo, find? Woo, no. like, <laughs> please p- tell people where they can please, find you. Uh, follow me on Twitter and Instagram. It's Hannah Drake six two eight. That's my birthday, June twenty eighth. So it's six two eight. Hannah Drake six two eight. And my um, website. A lot of people get this wrong because they put hannahdrake.com. But it's a young girl that won't sell it. So <laughs> it's hannahldrake.com. Uh, it's my website. And write some shit is my blog. So please follow me. Cool. Hannahldrake.com. Yep. Write some shit. Write some shit. Yep. And if they want to buy some books, where's where is the best way for you? Amazon. To, Amazon yep. easiest cool. Oh, and then and then let me say this because we're local. So yep. they'll they will kill me. Uh Carmichael's. Has, and they uh, can ship things out too. Yeah, even Car- if, even you if can, you don't live in order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so you can order online for Carmichael's, and, and it's a local so bookstore. Friendly. They say these local bookstores are coming back, so hopefully that's the trend. But please go to Carmichael's if you're in Louisville, or you know they do ship um, all over, so you can go online. But if you're in Louisville, you can go to Carmichael's and pick up a book. Buy a damn book. Buy a damn book. Read a book. Read a book. Educate yeah. yourself. It's the Black History <laughs> Month task. Yeah. yeah. Read a book. Have yeah. you heard that Buy song? I'll sing it when we're off there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Remy, any last thoughts? Or? <sighs> no, no, no. I feel like I've grilled you enough, right? <laughs> I think so. This was wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you all so much for joining. Thank you so thank much, you. Anna. And thank you very much. We will be back next month. Thank you.